I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi, this is Kristen Sunanta Walker, host of Mental Health News Radio and CEO of Everything EHR. Today's guest is Dr. Linda Martinez-Louis. She is a clinical expert on the narcissistic personality. She is a licensed psychotherapist with many years of professional experience working with those who are suffering from psychological and emotional abuse from narcissistic personalities. Those include narcissistic spouses, mothers and fathers, siblings, ex-spouses, and co-workers. Dr. Martinez-Louis is the author of Freeing Yourself from the Narcissist in Your Life, which is available on Amazon.com. She helps her clients to recognize and understand the narcissist in depth and learn the practice of self-care to recover from psychological and emotional abuse. Through her international telephone consultations, Dr. Martinez-Louis offers specific strategies and essential tools for healing, recovering, and thriving. She has an extensive blog that addresses multiple facets of the narcissistic personality. Thank you for joining us. Well, good morning, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mental Health News Radio. Thank you, Kristen, for inviting me. I'm very, very happy about this, and I hope that between the two of us, we can help a lot, a lot of people, a lot of individuals who are having so much difficulty with the narcissistic personality in their lives. Absolutely. That's, I, I think I, I was Googling around because I'm, you know, the show it does very well um, in all of its venues. I mean, everyone, all the listeners know I'm interviewing CEOs of tech companies and I'm interviewing behavioral health providers and volunteers and so on. But by far, the shows that get the most downloads well into the thousands um, and globally. I mean, there's not a corner of this earth that people aren't downloading the, the shows that we do on narcissism. Um, sociopaths and psychopaths. So uh, I thought, well, people are clamoring for answers. I need to have more experts on the show. And I came across your book, which if you don't mind telling all of our listeners what the name of your book is. It's Freeing Yourself from the Narcissist in Your Life. Wonderful. Well, I came across your book and went, okay, I need to reach out to her. And thankfully, you were open to that. (laughs) Very much so. 
So tell, tell us all, um, why is this particular field of study important to you? It's exceedingly important and has been for quite some time. Uh, one of the reasons is that narcissistic personalities are pervasive in our society today and very much accepted and rewarded handsomely. Mm -hmm. um, many of them are our leaders, our uh, CEOs, our uh, people in government, people in private uh, professions. And of course, there's so many people that are not like this that are being very badly affected and have painful ordeals that they're going through, through divorces with narcissists. They have parents that are narcissistic, siblings, people with whom they work. And what, what happened was that I started noticing with my clients early on in my clinical practice, and I saw a consistent pattern of clients and heard their stories of suffering in destructive relationships at home, in their work, and even with friends. And they were unable to really lead their lives without a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was studying in my clinical studies, I was studying I was studying personality disorders and narcissistic personality in particular. Hmm. And I became intrigued with that particular psychic structure and the defense mechanisms and the false selves of the narcissist. So the two of these forces came together and that's what really activated my ongoing and long interest and my work with those who are victims of narcissists. Interesting, because I've I've had several specialists on um, that also you know work with uh, the victims of narcissistic abuse, and they one of the questions I asked was you know did you study this in school was it part of your curriculum and the people that I have had on said it was touched on very lightly in their training as a behavioral health provider. That's interesting. Yes. That's, that's true. I find that, too, with, with clients who have been to therapists, and, and some of them can be very good therapists, but even at this point have not had any kind of training or academic acquaintance with this particular personality disorder, which is so pervasive today in a society. Exactly. It's an epidemic. It is an epidemic. And, of course, there's the book by Twenge, the narcissism epidemic which focuses on young people and it's I think she had at least 5,000 participants participants in that study mm. and she's finding that that the society is becoming more and more narcissistic and again people are rewarded for these dreadful behaviors. Right, exactly, as if it's some sort of wonderful coat of armor that we should all aspire to wear, um, being a toxic individual that enjoys hurting other people. That's right. They're very sadistic, and of course the main trait is a complete lack of empathy. Right. And learning how to feign empathy. I mean, one of the things I think that people don't understand and why people are fooled, even people that maybe aren't necessarily being abused directly by the narcissist, but the ones that choose to believe them over the person that is being victimized, the target, 
which is always the person, usually it's a very empathetic or a true empath who, who fell for the narcissist and then they see the light and start calling the narcissist for what they are. And that person, of course, then becomes the full-on target of the abuse. And then, you know, friends, family, whoever it is that believe the narcissist then uh, turn on that victim as well. So they're further victimized. And so I think with some of these, you know, this general apathy that, that goes out, that seems just as pervasive and damaging as narcissism itself. I agree. I, I often, very often, like you were saying, you're, you are in contact both through the, um, the posts that I do on uh, my website and also through people that contact me directly, that they are completely isolated mm-hmm. so that everyone around them, all their family members, people at work and even in quotes friends of theirs, have no understanding of why this person is so dreadful and why they've been caused so much pain. Right. And they're made to be the crazy one because the facade that false, very believable and often charming, very charming, compelling, magnetic, false self is so believable right. to everyone. And then behind closed doors, this person is an absolute monster. Absolutely. And then no one believes them. Even their, Even members of their family don't believe them. They all fall into place with a narcissistic person. And they have such an incredible act. I call them method actors. Mm. They're able to feign a very believable pseudo-empathy. Right. And in, in a sense, at the time, some of them, when they're doing this, they believe it. Just like a method actor, a great method actor, will believe when they're playing a certain part. It's part of their toxic manipulation that they do. And they're so good at it, they've been doing it since they were little tiny kids. So they've mastered the art of the pseudo-empathic role. And it's it's interesting because when you, the, the target, you know, the reason why you become a target, see them with that mask off, you see it's eerie. It's eerie and it's so disturbing to see that real person who they really are underneath all of that. And yet you are often completely alone in that. That's right. They conceal the real, of course, they conceal the real self that very damaged, enraged, real self, they conceal that from themselves. But it, it is so horrific. I don't, you know, your listeners know that so clearly to be in the presence of someone where, where that is so raw, mm-hmm. where, they're, where they're projecting that volcanic primal rage onto you. It is absolutely intolerable, and you can feel it coming inside your own body. Yes. It's it's one of the most horrible experiences. And then to have that happen over and over and over again. And for those who are children of narcissistic mothers and narcissistic fathers, it goes on throughout their lives growing up as little tiny babies and little children and then later on and then and then what often happens is that they'll marry a narcissist. Right. Continuing that 
of they're not good enough, are they wrong, are there something the matter with them, when all the time they've been, in a sense, imprisoned by the narcissist. Alice Miller, who died a few years ago, uh, the great psychoanalyst, talked about that in her book, Prisoners of Childhood, the drama of the gifted child. She talks about that fact that children that are raised by these kinds of toxic parents are feel, are feel like prisoners, and they just they they feel helpless and hopeless, and they don't know what to do because they can't get out. They're just little tiny children. Right. When we're little, when we're little, we have to survive, so we go along with a family story. You know, dad or mom is great, and and we have to behave and we have to believe what they're saying. Now, some children, it's very interesting, some of the people with whom I talk, they kind of know that there's something really wrong from Mm -hmm. the beginning, but they can't quite pinpoint it. And they're so frightened and intimidated so much of the time that they have to kind of go along with the program and the drill, but they know something is off with this mother or father of theirs or a sibling in the family. And then time goes on, and that's kind of forgotten, and then they end up a re- recreating a, re- right. a repeat because we tend to, you would think that we would not repeat something that was that painful, but when it is not conscious enough for us to do anything about it, it kind of goes back into the unconscious and then is repeated in other patterns of behavior later on in life. Right. I have a good one for our listeners. They love hearing stories. Um, Here's a perfect example of of, uh, parental narcissism. Um, My grandmother, who is no longer with us, um, was the most toxic narcissist, uh, just absolutely horrifying, and yet she in elder years worked as a volunteer with um, mentally disabled children. And she was written about in a book by written by Nancy Reagan called to love a child. There is a chapter in that book called Audrey and it goes into detail about what a wonderful woman she is. And it's just, you know, the healthy pieces of our family that we're able to pull away from the toxic parts of our family Um, all just, you know, that is the perfect example of here is society rewarding this woman who absolutely was so destructive and damaging to her own family. And here she is in a book written about Nancy, written by Nancy Reagan, rewarding her for being this wonderful person. It's, this is where, you know, that is where, uh, the victims of this can go crazy. How can you combat something like that? That's right. And, 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 and that's an extraordinarily fine example of the kind of thing that does happen, you know, right up there. You know, here's the wife of the president and actually a very well-known person in her own right and all of that. And, of course, she couldn't have known. Right. And, the, and you know, the, they, they have such great press in terms of the public image mm-hmm. no matter what they're doing. And then the minute, you know, the minute they're behind closed doors or there's a moment when you're with them alone, mm. oh, my God, all oh, yeah. breaks loose and Mr. Hyde or Mrs. Hyde is out there just doing this. It approaches evil. 
I, I, in fact, I think it is evil. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It certainly is because it's it's highly destructive. It's so destructive to that other to that person and to that child, and to the adult later on. And it doesn't go away quietly. What has happened goes deep inside of the individual that's been the recipient of these constant projections and the line, the line, the conic line. And the, and the duplicitousness and the manipulations and the exploitations and the humiliations, oh, are just horrendous as children. And then, if, of course, if you're married to one of these people, they're constantly humiliating you. Oh, absolutely. They're, one of the things and, and what I try to pull together from, from all of our listeners, um, because I get emailed every day, I get phone calls during the day um, from people. And, you know, the first thing I do is try to find them a therapist in their area that specializes um, in narcissistic abuse. But one of the questions that people ask all the time is, you know, what is no contact? What does that actually mean? And how can it be achieved when children are involved? Yes, that's a really good, that's an excellent question. That's really good. I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest mm -hmm. um, issues to navigate. Um, you know, going con no contact with is one thing when we don't have children and they're only, they're adults involved and it can be a parent. Even then it can be very difficult. But when there are, there is a divorce and there are children and they, and there are certain legal agreements that have been made with regard to custody. It's, it's very tough. Um, and then of course you set certain rules with a narcissist. With, with an ex and they always they never obey the rules right They're always changing the rules they throw everything up in the air even if it's a court order oh yeah and they shift that around and then they have to have it their way oh this just this time or this you know oh but just between the two of us who cares about you know what the court what, says the law exactly. they don't give a damn about anything having to do with the law the rules anything like that so it's one of these one of the most important parts of this, and for, and, and for all the listeners as well, and for all of us, is that we have to start with ourselves and pay attention uh, and focus on our own self-care because that's the be that helps tremendously with these kinds of situations, giving ourselves an opportunity to do, and then we can talk about it maybe a little a little later on, do certain practices that help us to be calmer, to calm down the nervous system so that we can really think clearly and so that we don't, we're not going to be overreacting because in a situation like this, the narcissist is, depend, is absolutely sure that we're going to overreact, get very emotional, get very upset, raise our voices, and then they can blame everything on us and try to change the custody arrangement because there's something to matter with us. So what I say is that none of these arrangements is ever perfect, but we try to do the best we can mm -hmm. and keep ourselves and the welfare of our children at the very top of our list. So I say the contact needs to be civil. It doesn't have to get, and we don't get into any history with a person. We try to minimize 
the physical contact with that person as much as possible. Now, if there are little infants involved and that kind of thing, it's, you know, obviously we have to take that into consideration. But there, is a, there are procedures that can be set up for children going back and forth between one home and the next. And as I said, they're always changing the rules, so you, you, can, you can expect that. The parent, the parent, though, needs to work, the non-narcissistic parent, the, really, the, the only one that really loves the children because narcissists are incapable of loving. True. Must stay in some kind of, in a form of self-control, self-containment at all times. And this takes a lot of practice daily practice and then when we when we when we kind of falter and can't do that we we have to be patient with ourselves so we practice the appropriate behaviors and we remain clear i think the less that is said the better and the less one on one contact timing of that contact amount of time we spend with the narcissist is better so this is where the part of the self-care comes in, and that has to do with we do through practices like guided meditation, in some cases um, basic yoga, gentle yoga with emphasis of breathing through the nose. These are daily, daily practices or just you know, spending time in nature, doing some of these things and practices and taking them seriously that help us to be calm just generally. Right. The narcissist, of course, <clears throat> has horrible boundary issues. So the boundaries must be maintained on the no contact situation. Now, sometimes the lawyer has to be brought in. There are times when people ask me questions, and they're really legal questions. So we have to know when we're dealing with custody situations that are tense and difficult whether there's a time when we want to bring a lawyer in. We try not to do that because once we go legal, then they're going to run the, the table on us and try to change the custody arrangement. We don't right. want them to do that, especially if it's working well. So what I have found is sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes the, um, you may have another person with you who can help with the children. So that you're not going one on mono on mono with a, with the with the narcissist. Mm -hmm. There can be like a a relative or a friend or someone to kind of take the uh, charge off of it. I just think that the more routine this kind of back and forth can become in terms of the contact no contact is is a good thing. It's almost like a ritual where the children, we prepare the children to go over to the father's house, the mother's house, and back and forth kind of this way. And I think that the other thing that's very important is to remind ourselves and the children to know, and they know this, that you love them. And that when they are going over there, you are in a sense with them because you've internalized, the children have internalized you. So they're not alone. Now, I do know parents that will... Um, text or email their children or possibly call their children when they are at the other right. spouse's house. And that's an arrangement that, 
that uh, that can work. Sometimes the parent will not allow that. <clears throat> the narcissistic parent won't allow that. So it it just depends. I know that. I say have. Go ahead. I was just going to say I know you know a friend of mine that's you know going through this herself and um, that the texting and the emailing is part of the just the continual abuse and undermining of her by the sociopath that is the father who is now fighting for full custody or at least half-time custody of the kids, wants nothing to do with that, has no facility to take care of these kids whatsoever. It's all about thinking that he's going to have to pay less in child support. So it's all just about the money um, and torturing and trying to torture their their mother. And um, luckily she's you know in front of a judge that knows this behavior very well and has shut this down again and again and again. But it's always amazing to me to hear yet another story. Things will go quiet for a while after he's been shut down by the court. Um, and then the next time he has to make that child support payment, boom, here comes another round of, you know, toxic behavior using the kids, you know, just it's finally gotten to the point where he's been court ordered that he is not allowed to text or call his children or email them um, when he is not with, with them, when he is with, you know, their mother. I mean, it's ridiculous yeah. that you have to go to these levels, like you're dealing with a three-year-old that's having a temper tantrum, but that is exactly what you're dealing with with a narcissist. Indeed it is, because they're, they are arrested, psychologically arrested at a very young age, even under the age of two, according to James F. Masterson, who was an absolute expert on the narcissistic personality, a global expert. And that's what he said, they're arrested at that point of development when their world is their oyster, there isn't anything that they can't do, they have no boundaries, they can have a temper tantrum anytime they want. This is very typical of the kind of thing. It's very extreme. So one of the main things is for the other party, the mother in this, in this case, not to get completely worn down. They're right. trying to wipe you out. Absolutely. That's basically what they're doing. They're going to, they're going to, use you to wipe off a filthy floor. Right. And they can't wait for you to just break break apart and go to a mental hospital. I mean, that's what they want, and they're highly destructive. So the, the, the most important thing here, and this woman has done this with great courage, is to maintain her psychological and emotional equilibrium and groundedness. Right. She is not going to stop. She's going to keep doing what she's doing, and he is not going to get away with it. Now, so far, they've got a, she has a good judge. Right. Sometimes she's she lucky. Gets, she's very fortunate the judge understands exactly who this horrid person is. And they don't stop because I've seen them go on for like 13, I don't mean to discourage your listeners and whatever, but they can go on. I've seen it happen like for 13 years of the whack and this kind of thing. Where they want those kids because the children are the narcissistic supply. For them. Absolutely. The image, the narcissistic supply, especially if the children are uh, very bright, attractive, athletic. They're the ultimate living narcissistic supply. Hmm. So the main thing here this woman has done, which is fantastic, is that she does not cave. 
Right. She is proactive with this, and she's not going to stop because her children come first. Right. She also has a very strong sense of self. That's another part is that we, we must activate that inner core of ourselves that has great strength. That is absolutely essential, and we can find it within us if we do the self-care that's essential part of this kind of custody battle type situations that are in armed conflict sometimes for years at a time. So I give, I give her and all of your other listeners tremendous credit for fighting these battles. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. One of the the articles I've come across, which I, I absolutely love, I, I did use it in a in a really bad um, business arrangement. I was in a, a blip in my in my life. It was just a few months, but um, thankfully I had people in my corner like Christine Louis de Cannonville and Andrea Schneider and Michelle Malin, which are all experts in, in this as well, telling me, oh my gosh, Kristen, get out, get out, get out. So I had great support. I wasn't handling this one on my own, but I had found an article called The Gray Rock Method. And basically it's about you know making yourself as boring and unappealing as possible to the narcissist that is targeting you is because like a tick that's getting burned with a match, you become as boring as possible. They realize they're not, you know, you're not good supply for them anymore and they will go off and be disordered elsewhere. And I, um, I, I sent that article to this friend that we're talking about and she's been using that uh, regularly and it's really helped her yeah you become um, very drab mm-hmm. kind of you can't there's nothing they can't nothing sticks to you and you can't be you're not like a match so that you can they can't create fire out of you right there's no fire inside there's nothing there and there's a um attribute in uh, Buddhism called equanimity, Mm. which has to do with the ability to kind of remain very calm, boringly calm, as you pointed out in this, which is an excellent way of dealing with with these individuals. But you just, you know, just like unruffled, even if the wind comes across the water of your temperament and everything, you still are very, very calm on the surface and beneath the surface. You know, it's like, oh, like, tell me another one type thing. Everything's mm-hmm. flat. The affect can go, can go kind of flat. 
and and then unreactive. I can see how this could work really well because it would just be so, you know, they're so dead inside themselves. So they get their their charge. They, they get their big charge out of getting the other person to overreact and get hysterical mm-hmm. and out of control. And actually deep inside, that's what's happening to them, but they activate this in other people. So that that's right. And I love that boring business. The boring business is terrific. You know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I had one, um, a male um, sociopath that I worked with for a couple of years not too long ago who enjoyed talking about how, you know, I'm always on an even keel. I don't, I'm not even medicated. I'm just always on an even keel. And, you know, he bragged about this and yet he was constantly instigating and triangulating between his staff, his colleagues. There's always all fingers and roads pointed back to him. And yet he did always remain at least at work. I know he wasn't this way at all at home, but, um, he did always maintain this eerie calm. And there's a big difference between that. I just want to make sure our listeners know there's a big difference between the eerie calm of the psychopath, sociopath, narcissist, and the calm of the victim that is now empowered and knows the game that's going on. They don't have, the narcissist doesn't have empathy. That calmness is, is, comes from the fact that they are dead inside and they, but they are instigating, they are gaslighting, they are um, doing things behind the scenes um, and, and they're enjoying this. I mean, one of the eeriest situations with me because I was working as a business consultant was hearing this man discuss how much he enjoyed what he called throwing little bombs on people to get them all excited and upset and worried and running around. So then he could point the finger at them and say, look, you're the one who's acting crazy. I, as the consultant saw this behavior, he never would have admitted that in front of his staff. And um, I can tell you just seeing that mask off and watching someone take delight in, in tormenting people, it was frightening. It's very scary, but true. And and some of that also comes from the envy that they have of other people. They that, really absolutely. envy, unconsciously envy those who are empathic, who have loving relationships, who have real friends, who have people that really care about them, and and people that have genuine feelings. Because there's un- on an unconscious level, there there is of course beneath in that very damaged real self. The self-loathing, the self-hatred is, is just bottomless. And it can't, it can't really, it's very difficult. You know, one of the questions would be, you know, can a narcissist change? I've never seen it happen. Me either. Except there's, in a couple of instances, I've seen changes occur where, for example, a person is an alcoholic, maybe a severe alcoholic, and they almost died as a result of, you know, this over-drinking and just getting their liver out of whack and, and then ended up with DTs and all that and had to go literally where they were able to bottom out. 
And in those instances, I have seen a real shift and change in the, not only the behavior, but the personality of that individual at their core. I have not seen a narcissist do it, however, because they seem to get, the personality traits seem to get much more ingrained with age. Mm. I say they don't age, they age disgracefully, not gracefully. Interesting. Because they get the defense mechanisms that they use, unlike the borderline that has defense mechanisms that are very um, weak and they're unable to really to really assert themselves to the world and they're, they're very fragile and fragmented. The defense mechanisms, as Masterson, I remember one of his, I went to a number of his seminars when he was years and years ago, but I'll never forget them. He was taught, he used the word concrete to describe, describe the defense mechanisms. I, I actually used the word steel. You cannot get through those, nor can the narcissist himself or herself get through to the real self in them. That's how strong the defense mechanisms are. So, for example, when they're projecting narcissistic rage onto you, onto a person, that's the, that is the self-hatred and the self-loathing that they have inside. That's the damaged real self. That's how severe the damage is there. The other, the other one that they use is uh, extreme denial, massive denial of the true reality. Because for, him, for them, image is reality. Mm. So they're never dealing with reality. Also, they're very restless people. They can sit still and they can zero in on whom they're going to do in next. But left to their own devices deep inside, they're, oh, they're completely empty. There's nothing in there in the real self. <laughs> so that's why they're, run, they're running about getting uh, narcissistic supply at all times, including other people. Right. Now, have... those that are very, in quotes, very successful in the world mm -hmm. have other individuals coming to them and adoring and venerating them and asking what they can do for them day and night. So you have these stars, you have CEOs, you have, mm -hmm. um, you have high-level executives, you have so-called spiritual people. Oh, yes. That are high-level narcissists that um, brainwash individuals into believing, oh, join my group and you'll you'll see the light and you'll become enlightened and I'm this is the way that it's done. This this is interesting. I've done a number of um, blogs on this subject and for some reason I don't get as big a response. I'm wondering, oh my God, I hope these these individuals are not getting bamboozled by these so called spiritual people. Oh they do. Because they're they're among the worst. Oh, yes. Because oh, yes. People believe them. And, you know, an someone that's been through the mill like this and a uh, victim of narcissistic abuse looks everywhere for help. Right. Desperately. And then they find these horrible, you know, snakes that um, Under put the on the mart martyr role or that mm -hmm. I'm really spiritual role. 
And I won't mention any names, but there's some really high-level narcissists that are selling this kind of uh, snake oil. Yes, there are. I, I wound up in one for a few months, um, which, you know, in some ways was, was good for me um, because I, you know, I took the good out of it, ever the optimist. I took the good out of it uh, that I could. But when I left, I went, my God, this entire spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual retreat is, is uh, a breeding ground for narcissism and it's a cult. That's right. And, and, and to keep the person coming back. Absolutely. It set me back, actually, um, yes. several months in my healing by, by being there. And well, and then some people become addicted to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are people that leave their jobs, leave their homes and go live on this mountain retreat and devote their entire lives to this organization. And, uh, you know, I just, wow. I think, okay, you're under a trance. I actually had a friend of mine that is still involved there and every time he goes to a retreat when he leaves he ends up in a psych ward for a few days and oh i said God. to him do you not see the you know what's going on here why is it that you end up in a psych ward after every time you go to one of these retreats the, mm -hmm. what's the correlation but he's so addicted to you know that being supply that um hopefully one day he'll get out of it well, hopefully you will. You know, that, that brings up another interesting point is that I found that some of the individuals that I talk to in consultation um, have to do a series of rounds with a narcissist. They, they have to keep, they'll, they'll go in, let's say in a relationship and in so-called intimate, by the way, they really are incapable of any form of true intimacy, mm -hmm. emotional, psychological intimacy. But they do have, they create that sexual charge, yes. that, that, that chemistry, people call it love bombing or whatever, you know, different terms that they use. And so I found that with some of the clients that I've talked to over time, they seem to have to go back in with that person again and again and again. And then, and then see who that who they are, and then, and then for a while, for quite some time, they they can keep they can keep very clear. Unlike your friend, which is very unfortunate. I mean, go to a psych ward. I mean, that's so extreme. Right. But um, then, but then some of them are able to get clearer and clearer glimpses of the narcissist, and then make and then finally make distance. But that doesn't happen very often. What, what usually happens is that they're either in for their full prison term with them, like in a marriage. I mean, I've had women contact me that are in their fifth or sixth decade with a narcissistic right. spouse. And they're still trapped. And they know they're trapped, but they can't get out of it. So they've waited so long, and then... They've dropped their entire lives, their personal and professional lives for this individual. I'm thinking of someone right now that I know, and this person knows that her husband is a narcissist, and yet she, you know, part of it's the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to give up. There's the fusion with the narcissist. And this is a really sharp woman, very oh, yeah. smart, well-educated, 
sophisticated, and yet she's trapped. She cannot get herself out. And he, you know, you'd think that he would be the one that would be wearing out. No, he's wearing her out. Right. So I say to women, you know, I have women with whom I talk, they'll say, oh, my God, I'm 50 years old. You know, my life is over. I don't have a chance. Are you kidding? <laughs> right. 50 is very young, for, particularly exactly. for a woman. Exactly. And I don't, I don't, yeah, and I say, wait a minute. Your life is just starting. Beginning. The freedom. Even that I wanna... 60 or older. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the tell, let's talk about that because a lot of the, the, you know, people, I mean, I definitely, you know, have gone through this and I'm on that other, you know, healing side. Thank goodness of experiencing what life is like when you, you know, when you do become fully empowered and you, you know, and you do live your best version of yourself in your life. So I've definitely, you know, come through the fire and I'm, I'm at the beginnings of, you know, the other side of it. But um, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, how does that happen? And what is it like um, to, to, to get to this place? Um, because, you know, you know, when you're in the throes of, of trying to break free of it, you're detoxing off of an addiction, an addiction to that toxic person. And it is hell. It is absolute hell, but it is so worth the journey. To me, it feel, it is the journey to you. So in your, you know, your clinical experience, what kinds of um, incredible things have you seen victims um, do once they do break, three and, break free and they become survivors and actually thrivers? Well, what are some examples you've seen out there? Well, I've seen almost like a rebirth in that person, like an, an, an incarnation in them. And that they, once they break free, of course, there is a lot of, they, they need a lot of down, downtime and calming. Mm-hmm. They, need, they need time to really recover, like you see, the detoxification process. Right. It's almost like they, they have to create their own spa so that they can take downtime to be alone, and I know it's not always possible because some of these individuals, women, and sometimes the men say, well, what about me? There certainly are males that are. Oh, absolutely, yes. A a narcissistic figure. But but the recovery process, in a sense, and it's not a bad thing, the recovery process is lifelong because we're in a state of evolution. One of the many wonderful things about breaking free is that you're no longer living the delusion with a narcissist anymore. Right. You're living your own life on your own terms and you are free from them. And I have found that with that freedom come all these gifts, your own creative gifts that you've kind of put behind you, an increase in your energy level the ability to sleep finally and to get mm-hmm. that parasympathetic sleep going on. Yes. Um, the, the, um, and despite the age, to me the age is nothing. I mean, I know we all age and maybe we slow down a little bit. Keeping ourselves very healthy physically is exceedingly important. Oh, yes. And, and probably sleeping well for the first time. Because when you're married and sleeping next to one of these people every night, it's affecting you. It's, it's, 
in a horrible way. So for the first time, you don't you don't have this person right next to you all the time. Draining and your lifeblood every second it, of the day and exactly, night. Exactly, exactly. And so there's this wonderful recovery period that where there is like this um, the ability to use your sense of humor, to be spontaneous, to write. I, I even I even suggest they do um, spontaneous writing, that they take time and write little notes or write in a little book that they have, write down their dreams, write down their inspirations. Um, they uh, Getting to know other people that are not narcissists. They, this can take some doing, but we only need a couple of people that we trust and can really talk to. So they do break free, and often it's for the first time in their lives. Right. Because if they've had narcissistic parents, I've grown up in a narcissistic home where everybody around them is a narcissist. They have this sense of freedom and a kind of a lightness of being and also being able to be in the present right. moment and really enjoy it. Some also find spiritual paths that they, that they, that they seek, that they've been seeking for a long time, that have been undermined. Now they're now now they are no longer. They can think their own thoughts. Right, exactly. Without being criticized, they can feel. The other thing is the release of blocked feelings. Is huge. Crying is an incredible way to release these blocked feelings in our own bodies and minds that have been stuck for so long. Laughing, dancing. Having downtime where we can just lie down and, and just rest, taking time outside, listening to the birds, just really small things, going to a movie right, and just escaping and not knowing that you're going to a movie alone. Um, there's some wonderful things also on YouTube. I always thought YouTube was junky, but it's really, there's some great stuff on there. Um, there's some great guided meditation on YouTube. There's some wonderful whole films on there. Just this openness to life itself and appreciating it. Absolutely. I've, I've seen this just in my own journey that um, the not waking up and the first thought in your head is these toxic people and the first thought, or the last thought before you go to sleep are these toxic people. Just the amount of freedom to have your own mind back opens you up. It gives you all this room to be able to explore yourself and to go out in the world and have healthy relationships um, because you're not, you're not in that, uh, you know, Stockholm syndrome, toxic uh, bond, um, trauma bond with this person or people anymore. So it opens up, you know, all the creative parts of your brain that have been laying dormant or actually not even laying dormant that have been trying like hell to keep you um, sane while you're going through insanity. Um, 
all of because it's because the you know the greater parts of you are not fighting for your very will to survive you have all this room and time to explore what it is you really want to explore in your life which is you that's right and that's not selfish it's essential no it's essential it's absolutely essential and creating each moment creating new neuronal pathways absolutely so that the grooved old pathways of childhood for example which may which may have been very difficult and then adding on to the mix with a narcissistic partner or a narcissistic person through a profession all of that starts to fade out so that you're creating whole new pathways of thinking feeling the body mind has a whole different it doesn't you're not feeling that tightness and that fear like you said a very mm-hmm. excellent way of putting it you know every night before you go to sleep at night it's going to be different you can dream right. daydream you can have reveries you have solitude true solitude when you're not being intruded upon by these other thoughts you have other thoughts that are wonderful that are calming, that are... um, Nurturing. Very nurturing, restorative, so that you have the person that has activated their real self. The real self is renewed. Uh, There is a development of a sense of inner peace Mm -hmm. and the use of all of your creative gifts, things that you didn't even dream of. And then to recognize that your life belongs to you. Right. Often for the first time. And that's what I hear from those who are recovering. Wonderful. Well, we've gone over time, which I knew we would, and we we didn't even get to all the amazing questions that we were going to ask. So I, I hope that you'll come back and join the show again so we can cover these as well. Would you be open to that? Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that. Wonderful. Please let our listeners know where they can find your book and how they can get a hold of you and read your blog. Thank you. The best way to get a hold of me is by going to my website, thenarcissistinyourlife.com. Go there. I have a blog, thousands of, um, not, well, at least maybe 1,300, 1,400 blog posts on there on every facet of the narcissistic personality and continuing. And uh, my book is available through all the major sellers. Amazon.com has my book and has for a long time as an e-book and as a paperback. Wonderful. Yeah. And you're, you're writing a new, you're, let's talk a, just for a second, tell our listeners, you're, you're writing some new ebooks. is that correct? Yes, I'm going to be writing, uh, I'm in the process of having a new book come out. It's going to be an ebook, basically on recovering in the aftermath of the narcissist and all the ways, all the, the methods and, and the ways that you can recover after you have um, severed the relationship and detox, you are detoxifying from the narcissist and what you can do now and for the rest of your life to continue to recover. Oh, that will be such an important book. Okay, listeners, we are definitely going to have Linda on again, and we are going to um, we're going to time it around when that book's coming out because that is it, not only even if you're not 
you know, you're at the early, early stages of recovery. It's so important, I know, because it was for me to read about the light that is at the end of the tunnel that you may not believe is there because you've been shrouded in this toxic fog for so long. Um, so that book is going to be imperative, I think, for everyone's healing. Well, thank you. I, th- I, think, it, I think it will be very helpful. And uh, that, that's really my commitment is to those who are going through this and who are recovering and remember that your life is waiting for you. Absolutely. You deserve to lead the life. You deserve to lead this very lovely life that is there. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time on a Sunday to, of Memorial Day weekend to join uh, Mental Health News Radio and talk about this very important topic, Linda. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. And thanks to our listeners. Please join us again on Mental Health News Radio. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.